0: John's jumping off my Chinese house Two ducks in my spyglass
1: Welcome to Yarns at Yenhu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 224. The Way a Buttonhole is Famous. Tuesday, May 28th, 2019. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. Each time I record an episode, I post show notes, photographs, and links to things I talk about on my website yarns at yinhoo.com and you can find posts about the show and a place to communicate with me and with other listeners on the Yarns at Yinhu group in Ravelry. Today's episode features the following segments the back porch a little news on our Marie Wallen knit along yarn lover at large and so forth And we'll close with off-the-shelf. Hello everyone, I hope you're doing well. It's been a glorious long weekend here in the Poconos. I was fortunate enough to have a five-day weekend for Memorial Day, and that is owing to using fewer snow days than anticipated during this rather mild winter. So it's provided a lot of time to get some gardening done and some work done around the house. And we discovered that there is a cardinal's nest in our Japanese maple tree. It doesn't seem to be an incredibly safe or secure location. Our Japanese maple is quite small and low to the ground. It doesn't provide a lot of cover. It does have a great screen for the mama cardinal as the coloring of the tree is very similar to her coloring. And yesterday her babies hatched on Memorial Day. So now both parents are very busy flying in and out. It's very unusual for us because we don't typically have cardinals feeding at our feeders or spending much time around our house. They're nearby, but they're not at our house. So to find that the, this pair is nesting is very unusual and exciting. The long weekend has also been a great opportunity for me to finish up some knitting projects. The first is summer a knit t-shirt designed by Anka Strick. I knit mine in Green Mountain Spinnery Cotton Comfort, beginning on US 3 needles and finishing on US 4. I really like the design of this pattern. There's a lot of short row shaping for the back and front neck and then the shoulders. And once all of that rather complicated short row shaping is complete and the piece is joined under the arms. It's just around and around with a few shaping decreases. So it was a very satisfying knit and I like the shape of the t-shirt quite a bit. I think this is going to get a lot of wear. I knit it in a very plain color called silver, but it's just um. of a nondescript off-white color that mimics a t-shirt. The fabric is a bit dense. I'm not sure if it will relax more with complete blocking. So far I've just steam-blocked it, Uh, but one of the nice things about that is you can just... I can wear it with um, regular undergarments. Sometimes summer tops that are knit in a very loose gauge require you to wear A tank top or another shirt under them. That's not what I want to do. I don't want to be layering up in summertime. So I think that the weight of this will make it a really nice to wear um, in place of a t-shirt. Another reason why I wanted to knit this was that I have the linen yarn that I purchased at the Allentown Fiber Festival and I thought that summer would be a good pattern for this linen yarn so I wanted to try it out and test the shaping and I think my next cast on will be a linen version of this t-shirt because I really like the way it fits and I think that I will probably knit it on the same needles it will have a bit more drape but I expect that it will soften and bloom a little bit with repeated washings and be very wearable as a t-shirt. Another pattern that I finished was a pair of yoga socks. These were knit in Misha's Obsessions sock yarn in a Hogwarts-themed colorway called, Honestly, Don't You Two Read? It's a beautiful purples and vibrant peach and rust colors. And it, I thought it was just going to be a variegated yarn, but really it was variegated striping. It was some very clever dyeing on this skein of yarn, and I enjoyed knitting it quite a bit. I started with a pattern for yoga socks and then ended up deviating from it as I worked on the socks. And several people have asked me about a pattern and expressed interest in a pattern for yoga socks so I'm going to be working on that during the month of June. I may have kind of a design along where I invite knitters to work on the sock as I design it Um, kind of like a test knit and design at the same time I've made these a couple of times already, so I feel like I can generate a pattern as I go, and if you have a little bit of experience as a sock knitter, you should be able to join in no problem. So I'll have more about that uh, in an upcoming episode, and I'll be certain to announce it on social media if I start posting directions to cast on and so forth. The next pair of yoga socks that I'm knitting, because if I'm going to design them, I need to work on knitting another pair as I go. I pulled out a skein of very special yarn from my stash. This is my one and only skein of La May. It's a fingering weight yarn. It's a superwash merino nylon blend in the colorway Liesel which has a great deal of lilac um, and some beautiful speckling throughout. It's, it's really lovely. It was lovely in the skein, and it's, it's knitting up even more beautifully. This special skein came back from Paris with Emily of the Fibertown podcast. It's been sitting in my stash, and I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to break it out. And knit some more yoga socks. So I've been having fun with that and like I said I think my next cast on will be another version of Summer by Anka Strick, this time in linen. I have stalled a little bit on my knitting of Yell of color work cardigan by Marie Wallen but that will come back on the needles and I'll keep working away. I'm in the main color work which is just a two color motif and it goes from the waist all the way up over the shoulders and I really like the design. I love the yarn that I'm using for this project. I just got Distracted working on some recent sewing, and so the yell kind of got set aside for a little bit, but never fear, it's getting back on the needles and getting back into knitting rotation. The Marie Wallen knit-along or Wallen-along is going strong. I'm following the hashtags. Are you following the hashtags? So you can see everyone's beautiful cast-ons, the knitting they're doing, the colors they're choosing. The Wooly Thistle also has some kits available for some Marie Wallen designs, and I think when more yarn comes in, a few more of those will go up. It's great to see how many people are joining in and really taking on the challenge of knitting one of her designs. I had mentioned last time that I would be working to sort some prizes, and so far I have three prizes from the Yarns at yin podcast. They will be a $25 gift certificate to the Wooly Thistle. That will be for a finished project by our deadline. And then two others I've put together are a batch of goodies from the Knit Local getaway. I had some things left over from the gift bags and a few other goodies that I'm tucking in there. And so that will be another prize. And a third prize will be a chicken pincushion. At the Knit Local getaway, my sister Jessica brought um, botanically dyed fabrics as well as some directions for how to put together little projects with those fabrics you could do some embroidery um, you could make a lavender sachet and then she had directions for a really charming chicken pin cushion that you would fill you would stuff the top a little bit and then fill it with some rice or beans It's also nice to put a spoon or two of lavender in there so that when you squish it, uh, when you get a little anxiety ridden as you're sewing, you can give your chicken a squeeze and get some of that lavender fragrance filling up your sewing space. So I have sewn several of these and one of them will be a prize for this knit along. I've had some inquiries about choosing colors. When I was knitting on Yell on the bus ride down to Maryland Sheep and Wool, several people around me were, I didn't realize until a bit later, but they were examining my knitting and my color work. And the most frequent comment was, how did you choose the colors? or just assuming that those were the exact colors that were suggested in the pattern. And I said, oh, no, no, you know, this is Jameson and Smith yarn. It's not what was called for in in the pattern. And they said, well, did you match it exactly? How did you choose the colors? And that seems to be a big holdup or a big block for folks when they're about to embark on color work with so many colors as many of Marie Wallen's designs include and my suggestion is to look at the relationships between the colors because I think that's where Marie Wallen's color work design differs quite a bit from many others. Usually with fair isle motifs the whole point is to have a contrast. And Marie Wallen kind of turns this idea on its head. In fact, sometimes when you look at the colors that you're about to use, it looks like it's, it may not work. Like the design won't reveal itself because the colors are so muted or so close with not enough contrast. But then the whole thing works together very beautifully. So when I was choosing colors from Jameson and Smith and I was thinking about how to employ them, one of the things I did was I looked at colors that had um, a little bit of tweedy effect or heathered effect. I think they're usually labeled Mix. It's not one pure flat color, but rather a dappled color. And those Jameson and Smith yarns seem to have a better fit in a Marie Wallen pattern than the plain flat colors. And then I look to see the range of color that's suggested. Often there are several that are quite close. In yell, in particular, sometimes color families are paired. So there'll be a light purple and a deeper purple in a single motif. So if I were going to replace that, I would just look to have a light color and a deeper color in you know, a single color family. Another thing that I noticed in her color work is that usually each color is used two times. Sometimes it's a little more, but it's at least two. And the overall effect of that is that it makes the piece look unified. You don't just have one blip of yellow somewhere. But if there's a yellow motif then yellow shows up elsewhere in the design to kind of balance it out. Uh, I think that's really important uh, if you're going to play with different colors. I think there can be a temptation when choosing colors for color work to choose your favorite colors, the colors you like. That can often be a mistake because... Choosing all colors you like can have a muddying effect or create kind of a monotone effect rather than the vision that's put forth in one of Marie Wellen's designs. So including some colors that may not be your thing, uh, some colors that you may even think are unattractive colors, If you're using 10 or more different yarns, then it softens the effect, even of something that, you know, you have an aversion to. Yellow is really not my thing. I would never knit a garment that is yellow. And yet, the yellow motif on my Lovage sweater with the trees is my favorite of those motifs, And I'm really glad that I incorporated yellow in a couple other places throughout the design. So maybe that's helpful if you've been kind of sitting on the fence because of color choices. I urge you to give it a try. I mean, ordering the exact colors in the yarns that were used in the pattern, that is certainly an approach and there are, you know, there's mail order there to help you along, but if you want to try working with some things that are in your stash or you want to try for maybe a more affordable price point with something like Jameson and Smith Yarns, you can do it. You can certainly do it. Um, I also took the tack of ordering a few extra colors, just a few extra things so that as I was knitting, If I changed my mind, I would have a couple of other choices. I did not create a swatch for the color work on Yell or Lovage. I did get out some colored pencils and fill in a few of the motifs just to see how they would work up against one another. But then I just started knitting. I mostly stuck to my plan and swapped out a few things along the way. Just making sure that if I changed a color and added something new, I would be able to work it in yet again somewhere else in the design. It's very important. Well, I look forward to knitting along with you and seeing how these really special projects unfold over the summer months. It has been several weeks since my visit to Maryland Sheep and Wool at the beginning of May. It was an extraordinary day. The rain held off. The bus was late as usual. I take a bus trip down to the festival. But when I finally was able to connect with Emily and Jaime and start making my way around the festival grounds. It was great. Emily and I were both wearing the iris shrugs that we had begun at the festival last year. Uh, We hadn't planned it, it's just what happened. And that was really fun to see the work that had been done over the course of a few months last year and to get to model them. Um, Mine didn't stay on long because it was very humid at the festival. And I don't even recall all of my purchases when I think about it right now. I know I had done an Instagram story, and I will go through a few of the highlights. But I really don't recall everything. And I know some of it was even holiday gifts that I wouldn't talk about on the podcast anyway. I was in the market for at least one Jacob fleece in the event that I schedule another fleece to finished object course and I came home with two one I purchased at the fleece show and sale and another is from Mulberry Hill Farm I've been working with Megan Lacey of Distal Fink Fiberworks and her parents have Mulberry Hill Farm, Sean and Colleen. They have several sheep and one Jacob sheep, and they had offered me the fleece of this sheep from this year's shearing, and I said, absolutely. Um, I was also visiting their booth to check in on the Distal Fink hat. Um, and Megan said that it generated a lot of excitement and excitement in their farm yarns, which is fantastic. Sean was selling some beautiful carved animals, some which were displayed set atop old oil canisters. and they were so charming. I got one. It's not for me, it's a gift. Another purchase was some Jill Draper Mohonk Light. I bought a sweater's quantity of that in the black cherry colorway, which is like a deep purplish red. I love the spongy, springy character of this American made yarn and the colorway was just beautiful. So that will eventually be made into a fingering weight sweater. I don't have a design picked out yet. And then uh, a big purchase, something that I was planning on buying since I had visited her booth in the Allentown Fiber Festival, was a woven Mobius poncho from Kathy Dinsmore. Her company is called The Wandering Vine, and she makes absolutely beautiful woven garments she weaves on quite a wide loom I'm thinking 30 some maybe 40 inches and then she joins or cuts or sews that woven fabric into really beautiful soft drapey designs the way she works with colors on her loom is incredible. And the Mobius poncho that I purchased reminds me of Van Gogh's Starry Night. There are deep blues and purples and some gold um, and other kind of like brilliant pops of orange. It's just absolutely lovely and I've been wearing it in so many situations. It's easy to put on, it's easy to move in, and it really keeps you warm and snuggly. So some evenings when I wanted to sit out on the porch but it was getting a little bit chilly, I just settled that around my shoulders. It was fabulous. I've also been wearing it to yoga class and it's comfortable enough to keep on during some of the warm up we do um, kind of a meditation leading up to the yoga and then I put it back back on for the cool down so that you know my body sort of returns to a normal temperature nice and slowly and I don't get a chill it's just been absolutely lovely so I highly recommend checking out The Wandering Vine and all of her wares she always displays when she's at a festival she is with autumn house so that's what you will see listed in the vendors and she um the woman the proprietor of autumn house said she's like a third daughter or a second daughter or something like that she's been exhibiting with them for quite a long time and kathy dinsmore's work is exceptional I absolutely adore the Maryland Sheep and Wool Festival. I'm so fortunate that I have the ability to join in a bus trip and just go for the day instead of figuring out how to get myself there and the expense of an entire weekend in Maryland. So that's my favorite way to travel, even though it is an exhausting day. Uh, But it's such a great chance to see some vendors and have the excitement of springtime and shearing I think that the fleece show and sale is just superb and it's such a great time to have the day to run around the festival with Emily and spend a lot of time reconnecting and chatting and meeting friends and having just a really good day The last time I recorded an episode, I mentioned that I had a pattern, fabric, and a deadline for a sewing project, and that project is the Highlands Wrap Dress, designed by Allie Olson. The features of this dress are that it's maxi length, it has a sleeveless and sleeved option, I chose sleeveless, it wraps and has button closures to keep the wrapped portions secure on each side of the dress, as, lo- as well as waist ties, and there's also an elasticized waist band in the back portion of the dress. I purchased beautiful 100% raw silk from Fancy Tiger to sew this dress, and I also had some linen on hand that I thought I might use to make a wearable muslin. I did not make a wearable muslin. I went right into the silk for this dress. You knew, you knew I would, right? If you've been listening to this podcast, you were like, you're not going to make a wearable muslin. Who are you kidding? I did not make a wearable muslin. I did not really have time to make two versions of the dress. So the first session of my sewing, I set about making the pattern. And because I knew I wasn't going to have a muslin, I read the blogs and reviews for this dress very carefully and examined the photographs that were provided online in great detail. And one thing that folks said was that it was quite long. And another is that the side slit was rather high. So as I created the pattern for this dress, I made three adjustments. One, I moved the side slit down three inches. It's still above the knee, but it's a little more conservative. And since my intended uh, event for this dress was a work-related event, I thought that was appropriate. The second thing was... uh, my own desire for just a little more room in the underarm area. So as I cut the pattern, I just went from the size 10, which is what I cut for the overall garment, I just lifted that up to the size 12 in the front and back shoulder only. And then I cut the size 12 arm side facing. The third thing I did was I reduced the length of the dress by two inches. I did this because many people reported that it was quite long, even though they were tall. And also because I wanted to be able to wear this dress with heels or flats, since it's kind of a summer thing. And the third reason was I would not have not had enough fabric <laughs> to make it the length indicated. I thought I would have extra fabric because I didn't cut the sleeves but I didn't and I don't know if I could have planned my layout a little bit better but I just reduced the hemline by two inches. I found that the directions for the dress were very clear. I was able to follow them with you know, very little ripping out. Um, I did take the suggestion of using interfacing not only for the back neck but for the entire front facing. And then I went the extra step of doing a very lightweight interfacing for the um, arm side facings as well. I followed the pattern directions to the letter. With one exception, I did not do the decorative top stitching around the armholes. I tried several times and I just kept getting some bunching and puckering there. Perhaps because my arm side facing was a slightly different size than the cut of the dress. I'm not sure. But after fiddling with it for a while and just getting rather tired of it, I decided that I would omit that detail. It's a really nice detail to have that stitching, you know, you have it all the way around the facing of the dress and then to have it around the armholes as well, but it, it just wasn't working. So I used the same technique I had for the armhole facings on the Farrow dress, which was I trimmed... A little bit of the facing off about a half inch or so and then I ran the outer edge of the facing through my over edge stitch to give it a very polished look like putting it through a serger and then I just flipped it in and stitched in the ditch in my top shoulder seam and the side seam to keep it in place, it will still flip out a little bit when I put the dress on, but then I just flip it back in, and it it stays just fine. Um, the fit of the dress is absolutely fantastic. I love it. It's comfortable to wear. I do not feel like the front wrap is gaping open at all. It's perfectly secure with the buttons on each side, and it's a very clever bunch of maneuvers to put in these little button plackets. They're completely hidden, uh, but they really secure the sides of the dress. The bust darts are in exactly the right place. The length is beautiful. It's clearly a maxi. It's easy to walk, but it's um, not so long that it will be dragging on the ground if I'm wearing flats. I just, I adore it. I adore the dress. I would definitely make this again. Uh, If I were to make it again, I think I would make two changes. One would be that I would cut the back skirt to one size larger. It's not too small. It's not tight in the least, but I think having just a little bit more fullness in that back would make it very flattering and just a little more roomy, a little more drapey. And then I think I would reduce the length by only one inch instead of two. Uh, It's fine the way it is, but I think I could go another inch in the length. And that's really the only thing I would change. I would definitely knit, I would definitely sew, I would definitely sew this dress again in that 100% raw silk. The drape is beautiful, but it isn't sheer, so it just has really nice coverage. Um, I've been thinking about other colors actually <laughs> that I might do. Um, one suggestion that I had when I, I went to a, my local sewing vac, and they were having a sale on sewing machine needles, and so I picked out you know a universal packet that I usually buy. And then I said, would I use any special kind of needle to sew on 100% raw silk? And I was directed toward Microtex needles and told to try a smaller size, a 70-10 size. And then I was warned that the automatic or the the lever type threader on my machine would not work with those size needles, so to make sure that I threaded the needle by hand, which I thought was a really excellent tip. And that Microtex needle worked really well. It seemed to pierce the fabric without any pulling. The tension on my machine was really nice with this needle. I didn't use any special kind of thread. I suppose that if I wanted to... really fancy I should have chosen a silk thread also but I just use the usual poly thread in black Uh, but I think the needle was really essential so I will use those microtex needles whenever I'm working on any sort of fine gauge fabric like a rayon chalet or even maybe like a very tight weave chambray or something I might resort to a microtex needle to give me just a better stitch definition and smoothness of handling on the machine. So I was really pleased with that. Uh, this was the first Allie Olson pattern that I've ever followed, and I would certainly look carefully at her patterns in the future because I liked the way the directions were written. Everything was clear and I thought the sizing was true. I looked carefully at the measurements and the finished garment measurements and compare them to my own and I feel that I was able to get you know a really pleasing result on the first try I mean that was that was ballsy cutting into fabric that expensive without giving it a try uh, that's kind of my style but uh, I was a little nervous about it and I feel that the competency of the pattern really saw me through. I liked the feature of the side slits and the mitered hem on the Highlands wrap dress so much that I'm planning to create a hack with this pattern and the invisible side zip skirt pattern that I made in a class with Cal Patch. So a lot has happened in the month of May. Uh, Calpatch came to the wool school at Hope's Favorite Things. You've heard me talk about Hope before. She's been on the podcast. She has a shop in Richmond, PA that sells a lot of weaving and spinning equipment, as well as some yarn. Uh, Just beautiful products. She has such a great eye. On the property of the store, which was an old general store, is a school. It's the Out and Road School, and it was actually moved from another location nearby to the property. It was in a bit of disrepair, and Hope long had a vision for turning that school into a wool school, a place to gather and learn, have classes. Uh, because some of that social uh, interaction was sort of bursting the seams of the shop. She has a sitting area in there, but it was getting a little crowded. And over the winter and this late spring, Hope undertook uh, the monumental task of really getting this building into shape and having, starting to have classes there. And Cal Patch's weekend was one of the first. So Saturday was a sew your own skirt class in one day. And then on Sunday morning, we had a, an embroidery class. I can so highly recommend Calpatch as a teacher. I mean, I knew it would be great, but then it was even better than I thought it would be. She's just so generous. Um, she really enjoyed the ambiance that the school provided. Hope has all kinds of like really special details in the building and big chalkboards, nice big tables. It's an airy space. It's just really lovely. And we sewed a skirt on Saturday. I think one of the things in taking a class is listening and watching for not just the directions of how to do the thing that you're there to do, but like the other bits of wisdom that a really experienced and skillful teacher will drop along the way. And that's how it is with Cal. Like she talked about some things, her point of view on some things, her philosophy on some things that were really kind of well beyond this, this scheme of the, the project that we were working on and completely unnecessary for getting your skirt done. But those were, to me, some of the most valuable things that I took away from the classes. And in particular, on Sunday, just the beautiful setting and the slow pace of doing a whole bunch of stitches together Uh, There was quite a large group assembled for that embroidery class. It was just lovely. So if you have the opportunity to take a class with Cal, I just wholeheartedly recommend it. If you are living in uh, the northeast region and within driving distance of Richmond, Pennsylvania, it's not too far from Easton, Pennsylvania, that's like the larger town that's near there, um... Take a look at the events and classes coming up at Hope's Favorite Things. There may be something there to interest you. So I mentioned that I wanted to hack together two different patterns. My vision is for a long linen skirt with pockets and a side zip. I will be using the beautiful linen fabric that I had planned for a wearable muslin for the Highlands wrap dress, since I love it and I have quite a bit of it. And I want the skirt to be long, but a long A-line skirt doesn't really work because you lose your ability to take a long stride. So it needs some sort of a vent in the back or slits in the side. So I started... Dreaming about this, and then I thought, oh, I could use the beautiful side slits in the Highlands wrap dress. They're mitered, it comes together so perfectly, and then I could just blend that in with Cow skirt pattern, have the side zip, have the pockets. It will be amazing. So that is my goal to work on today, to draft that pattern and put that skirt together using the techniques that I learned in Patches class. For off the shelf today, I would like to read a poem by one of my very favorite poets, Naomi Shihab Nye. But before I read it, I just want to tell you that what I discovered was a whole group of poem videos these are exquisitely made little films that kind of they tell the visual story of some poems by very well-known poets they're created in partnership with motion poems And Naomi Shihab Nye's Famous is the subject of one of the recent ones. So I will link that in the show notes for this episode. And I will read to you Famous by Naomi Shihab Nye. I've seen her read this live, and she prefaced it with a little anecdote about her son asking her if she is famous because people recognized her and there were there was a gathering where a bunch of people had kind of crowded around her after a reading and on the way home he asked if she was famous and this is her reply in the form of a of a poem famous the river is famous to the fish the loud voice is famous to silence which knew it would inherit the earth before anybody said so. The cat sleeping on the fence is famous to the birds watching him from the birdhouse. The tear is famous briefly to the cheek. The idea you carry close to your bosom is famous to your bosom. The boot is famous to the earth, more famous than the dress shoe, which is famous only to floors. The bent photograph is famous to the one who carries it, and not at all famous to the one who is pictured. I want to be famous to shuffling men who smile while crossing streets, sticky children in grocery lines, Famous as the one who smiled back. I want to be famous the way a pulley is famous, or a buttonhole. Not because it did anything spectacular, but because it never forgot what it could do.
0: It's a mighty fine, mighty fine It's a. you how you better tell your old face to smile.